From tellmeyourdreams.com, this is Converge, the Business of Creativity podcast. I'm Dane Sanders. Converge is a show about that space, that tension between finding work that pays the bills and making our work meaningful. The show lives where our personal and professional lives collide, giving all of us the chance to rethink how we live and labor in a work-from-everywhere economy. If you're like me, you have come up against significant uncertainty in your life, cash flow problems, upside-down relationships, bad news from the doctor, those times when everything looks unfamiliar and maybe even dangerous. Even without a worldwide pandemic, these experiences of anxiety and fear of the unknown and risk, they're all part of what it means to be human. And in these moments, we often need a sagely voice to give us the assurance that we're desperate for. Well, Josh Kaufman is that voice, and he's also my guest today. Josh has been a friend for many years and a friend of our community. As an author, he's especially famous for his books, The Personal MBA, The First 20 Hours, and his more recent book, How to Fight a Hydra. To me, though, he is way more than all that. Josh is a generous and practical philosopher who gives real on-the-ground wisdom that pierces through the noise of our times and offers insights you can count on when you need it most. A quick note, I recorded this conversation a while ago, but didn't share it because of a handful of crackles in the audio. Given our current cultural moment, though, I knew I needed to post it anyway. I just can't imagine a more appropriate and important time than now to share this. I believe Josh will open up a new perspective to help you navigate not just your entrepreneurial quest, but any kind of uncertainty or upset you are negotiating. More so, if you're craving a sense of peace in the midst of fear, or you just need to get your bearings right now, you've come to the right place. Josh Kaufman, welcome to Converge. Thanks, Dane. It's a pleasure to be here. Josh, we have been friends for a few years now, and I, I got to know you through your writing more than uh, in person, but then we had a chance to meet in person a few years back up in Portland and maintain our friendship over the years. And you have been through a lot, and I know there's a lot of folks, especially if they've been exposed to you through your personal MBA and now your new book that's come out. Give people a quick kind of rundown as to what life has been like for you over the last 10 years. Now, the 10 years have been uh, very busy. so. Um... Quick history of, of Josh Kaufman. I actually started my career at uh, Procter & Gamble, the large consumer goods company, uh, doing product research, uh, product development, and then uh, ended my career there doing online marketing measurement. So uh, the company was spending millions and millions of dollars in advertising online, had no idea whether or not it was working. So I got to be the person to put together the strategy of how do you figure out if this sort of thing works for a company as, as large as P&G? Really great kind of whirlwind uh, introduction to business all, all within a couple of years. After I left P&G, I was an advisor to entrepreneurs and, and small business owners. So spent a number of years talking to a wide variety of, of entrepreneurs doing all sorts of different things, usually in the early stages of, of forming their company, talking to people literally starting at, at square zero. I don't even know what I want to do, but I have some skills around an area. What, what could I possibly do with the skills that I have, have to bring to the table? Um, all the way up to companies with anywhere between 25 and 50 employees and working on things like uh, system and process and, and trying to make sure that their business is, is running as effectively uh, as, as it can. 
And so for the past couple of years, I have been a full-time researcher and author. So one of the things that I tend to do well is uh, figure out how to think about these big, important, complex topics that we all deal with to some extent, whether that's business or learning something new, uh, or in the case of, of my latest work, big topics like uncertainty and risk and, and fear of the unknown. And so I dive into the research and in some cases do a lot of experimentation and then write a book that is designed to help the reader think about this particular area of life in a clear and useful way. One of the things that I like most about that is, is I get to decide to be interested in something big and important and then spend a year or two diving really deep into what's, what's the best, most effective, most useful way to think about that particular area of life. Mm. Well, that's so evident. I, lo- I love that summation because it's so evident both in uh, Personal MBA, when you wrote that book, I remember reading and finding it. So, I mean, I must have recommended that book to 150 people, individuals. Like it's been, not to mention, just kind of mentioning it in kind of public forums, but it was such a profound book to have someone do a deep dive around what you would get in the course of massive investment. But you, I remember in that era, you were basically in a position that people go to it to get their MBA to go get a job that you had, and you right. were up against maybe quitting your job <laughs> to go get an MBA. It didn't make any sense, so you just kind of made your own. And as a result, as a self-learner, you became very interested and therefore very helpful for not only for yourself, but for others. And then from there to pivot to your second book, The First 20 Hours, that was a, another fun kind of reverse engineering, a playoff, if I remember right, a playoff of the, the Malcolm Gladwell 10,000-hour play. And you're saying, yeah, that's all nice if you can get to 10,000 hours, but what about the first 20? You can get there a lot faster than you think. Right. And just giving kind of access for folks reading to go, wow, I can do more than I thought I could. Is that a fair kind of articulation of, of how you approach these kinds of projects? Yeah, so when I'm starting a, a new project, I'm, I'm trying to think about these big important areas of life and how, how are most people approaching it? And is that approach constructive or not? So in the c- case of the first 20 hours, as a society, and a society as, as a, in a global sense, a lot of people pay attention to the big flashy parts of skill acquisition. You know, the, the mm. person who wins the Olympics, the, the chess grandmaster, professional athletes, uh, professional entertainers, you know, the, the, the pinnacle of extremely competitive fields. And then in, in the thinking about what does it take to get to that level, people start to apply what that life looks like and they start to apply it to what their life looks like which is very often quite different what's an example of a difference like that you'd articulate and pick any one of those chess master uh athlete whoever like if you're if i'm comparing myself to jerry seinfeld why is that a a good idea why is it a bad idea sure so um let's take the example i i I was actually listening to a um the artist journey by stephen pressfield And he had a a wonderful section. I highly recommend the book, by the way. It's great. He had a section in there where he had a quote from a concert pianist who was talking about to get to his level required, you know, year after year after year of six hours a day 
learning how to play 120,000 notes with the precise note at the precise time with the the precise intonation perfectly every time day after day and if you are a person who is thinking about well i w- i would really like to learn how to play the piano and you look at somebody who is who is objectively extremely good at doing this thing you want to do and say well, that's what it takes to get there. I don't know if I have that in me. I don't know if I want to do that. When really, you're probably never going to get there. That's not the point of you learning how to play the piano. You may want to learn how to play some songs for fun, to play some songs uh, just for your own edification or amusement, or to, you know, maybe you have a couple songs you like to sing and you would like to accompany yourself. The reason that you are looking at playing the piano is very different from the motivations and the demands of being a professional concert pianist. Mm. And so using lessons that apply to one and applying it to your situation, which is very different, is, is not the best, most constructive way to think about what do I need to do to get started doing this thing I want to do. And so as it turns out, uh, it's way more effective to look at the psychology and research of starting something. So what does it take to go from knowing absolutely nothing about something you want to do to being reasonably good, to getting the result that you want, and hopefully in as quick a time as possible and with as little frustration as possible. And there's an enormous amount of research about how we can go through a process to learn the things we want to learn quickly it's just not paid attention to as much as, you know, the, the big flashy concert pianist, high status sorts of things. Mm. So helpful. It's funny, it's actually illuminating some of conversations we've had in the past where I would ask you a question in person and, and you would be very clear to, to take pause and say, well, before I answer that generically or gen- generally, I want to understand like, what is your purpose in asking that question and trying to get to a Again, a particularized angle on it. So it's not just that you're taking big, complex ideas and and kind of illuminating them and making them more accessible. You're also applying it relative to a particular purpose or end. And I think that's probably some of the magic sauce of what you've done so consistently over the years is you're really solving a specific problem, not a general problem, even though you're talking about big ideas. Thanks. Yeah, a word or a phrase that's been rattling around in my brain the the past couple of weeks is practical wisdom. So it's it's learning to act and do things in in a way that gets you good results but but is also very practical grounded in and affects your life in a meaningful way. So not high philosophy, but but what do you blue want? Co- blue collar blue collar philosophy. Yeah, like what what do you want? Why do you want it? And how are you going about getting those things and is there a way to get what you want in a more straightforward more effective less stressful uh way than than what you're currently pursuing i I think Mm -hmm. those types of questions are endlessly fascinating to me it seems like the folks that you surround yourself your colleagues that you're friends with folks that you acknowledge in your books and point to they all seem to be of a similar ilk when it comes to this idea of practical wisdom. Like I, I studied philosophy in grad school and I, I'll mention that at a cocktail party and I kind of get the glossy eyed eyes on people because they think what I'm saying is something very technical and specialized and, and at some level that was true when I was studying it, but I wasn't studying it for that purpose. It was for the sake of really practical application. Like from my view, philosophy is one of the most on the ground 
very helpful means to navigate life. And whether it be you or I, I think you're close with folks like Ryan Holiday and others that are uh, in that same kind of vein who are, they think about big ideas, but they, it's only as relevant as they can apply it on the ground. How important have the people in your life been in your life in kind of working this out in real life? And who are some of the folks that you would point to and say, yeah, you should be, if you're not already, you should be paying attention to those folks. Yeah, so there there are a lot of folks who have been huge influences on on my way of thought uh, over the years, and it, it's so funny to for you to mention your your background in philosophy because I have one too. Uh, that was one of the things that I studied while I was studying business in in college, and still, you know, one of one of the most interesting classes that I took in college uh, was a seminar on uh, Aristotle's ethics and politics, and yeah. I think I wrote a big paper about. Aristotle's uh, conception of where numbers come from, which when you dig into it is is a very interesting and very not obvious topic. So yeah, doing a lot of reading, I, I think um, the the folks that have influenced me most over the years are the authors and the thinkers who really focus on the how to think about fill in the blank topic as a general mode versus writing books that are are designed to be interesting or entertaining, if that makes sense. So, so for example, um, I learned a lot about writing from William Zinser, who wrote a book called On Writing Well. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's not book. a how-to book um, because he can't tell you how to write, but he can explain how to think about writing. Someone like Seth Godin, can't tell you for your business or for your market or for your industry how to market, but he can tell you how to think about marketing, what it is, why it's important, how to go about it in a way that's going to be both effective and and you're going to feel good about it. So I um, actually, I, I have a, a list of the best business books that I recommend for someone getting started in business. And what you'll notice is, is the vast majority of the books aren't technical how-to. Um, it's how to think about this topic in a constructive way. I love that. So how to think about books is what is, is, the, is the lesson of the moment. I, and I, I so appreciate it. And just not to name drop, but to actually help listeners find some new breadcrumbs to follow. Uh, I know Stephen Pressfield's been significant to you. Who are others besides the ones you've already mentioned? There's a, there's a book called Simple Numbers, Straight Talk, Big Profits by Greg Crabtree. And a related book called Financial Intelligence for Entrepreneurs by Karen Berman and Joe Knight. So when you think of like a super geeky, technical, in the weeds, here's how to think about accounting. Here's how to think about finance if you are starting your own company. Those books had an enormous influence on me. I, was, I read them at a time where I really wanted to learn this stuff for me so I could use it. But also as examples of how to write about these sorts of topics, which can be you know, nitty gritty, super technical, but how to write about it in a way that helps people really understand both the intent and how to approach the subject in, in a useful way. I think the, the same thing goes for books like, um, like Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman, you know, one, of, one of the grandfathers of the, the heuristics and, and biases approach to cognitive psychology and behavioral psychology. 
And the ap- the application there is how to improve our decision making, that kind of thing. Yeah, and well, I think he would probably disagree with that. Um, hmm. <laughs> he would say that this is not a how to book. This is a understand that there are certain features of the human mind that are there for good reason, but that you know, to use a computer metaphor, represent bugs in our thinking operating system. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and it's important mm-hmm. to know what they are, and it and. By knowing what they are, you can do things to make it less likely you're going to make boneheaded decisions because of it. So yeah, those those sorts of things I think are hugely beneficial. And one of the things that, that I wish more broadly, I, I think there are, are th- in general, three, three different kinds of books. Um, there are books that are specifically written to be entertaining, um, which I would say is probably you know, 90 plus percent of, of books that are published, you know, both in fiction and nonfiction. Fiction, obviously, you know, the vast majority of fiction stories are, are designed for entertainment. And, you know, even a lot of the sometimes very popular nonfiction is, is more designed to evoke, a, oh, that's cool. That's interesting. I never thought about that before. That's really cool. And, and not have any outcome from it aside from, I spent some time thinking about or reading about something that interested me. The the outcome is entertainment. There are some how-to books. So, you know, the the classic is uh, how how uh, there's there's an entire book on container gardening. So, if you want to learn how to grow a garden in your backyard, this is the book that is going to tell you step by step what you need to do, the materials you need to purchase, uh, how to install it, what to do, what not to do. You know, a classic Here's the result you want, and I'm going to tell you exactly how to get that thing, uh, which is maybe you know four percent of of books that are published, uh, cookbooks, things like that. And then you know the the last is uh, the worldview book, uh, the book about how to think about something important, how to approach a topic in your life or in your business or in your career or family or or something close to you how to think about that thing and approach that topic in a more useful, more constructive way. And it's the vast minority of books, but it, but I think that in the grand scheme of books that make the biggest difference in the world, uh, I think worldview books is where it's at. Well, let, let's get into your book, because this was a surprise to me. I got to say, when I <laughs> heard that it came out, and I, I'm a big fan of listening to authors read. And it's, it's actually, I have personal MBA in two versions. I have the audio version and the, when I bought personal MBA, I actually bought it when I was in Shanghai at an airport. No and way. So I, so I have this international version with this gold copy, but it's in English. It's so cool. Anyway, so I, uh, I, I, love, I love my resources in both cases, but I expected when I got the audio version of How to Fight a Hydra, first of all, I'm really glad I got the audio version because it was given the genre, it was actually quite Wonderful, but shocking. So for folks at home, and I don't want to butcher it, how do you describe both the genre of How to Fight a Hydra, given all of your background? Because you added production value to this. Like you really, this was a major <laughs> project. So just, just talk about, talk about uh, How to Fight a Hydra and what you're up to with it. Sure. So the topic of How to Fight a Hydra is uncertainty, anxiety, risk and fear of the unknown. So it's a book about deciding you want to do something big that is 
uh, scary, that it's something you've never done before, and you're not quite sure whether or not you have what it takes to to pull it off. Now, um, like like most the, everything in my life. Okay, uh, yeah, exactly. Go ahead. Go ahead. So, <laughs> That's crazy. So, you know, and, and the classic examples in in our day to day life is is starting a business, or you know, choosing to take on on some large creative project, you know, whether that is, is something, you know, in the classical art world or whether it's something, you know, uh, programming. So, you know, I, I had this, I, a couple of years ago, I taught myself how to program and I would have these things that I would want to build. And then I would have some vague idea of how to do that, but there would always be this nagging thing in the back of my mind is like, do you really know how to do that? And, and that would be an active barrier to getting started in the first place. Um, likewise, one of the the most common conversations in in my advising career um, as part of personal MBA is talking to entrepreneurs and and they would have this business idea and they would come to me and they would ask, is this a good idea? Is this going to work? And the only honest answer that I could give is, I don't know. You haven't done it yet. Mm-hmm. We can talk about how to make it more likely it'll work. We can talk about things to look for, you know, red flags, watch outs, how to avoid common mistakes. But you're never really going to know if it's going to work until you start trying to do the thing that you want to do. And, and that, that inherent uncertainty and fear of the unknown and, and also the, the inherent uh, variance in outcomes. So it, depending on, on a million different factors in when you start, how you start, what you do first, the trade-offs you make. All of those factors will factor into the end result of, of that particular decision, and the rewards will vary accordingly. So not only do you know what you know, success or failure is not binary, is will this work to the degree that I want it to work or would prefer it to work? And that's a really disconcerting thing to think about. It, it's probably the number one barrier to us getting started doing the things that we want to see in the world is, is that uncertainty and fear around is this a good idea and and maybe i should just do something else that feels a little bit more certain to me and so when i started writing the book it evolved out of a productivity book and 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 i was writing a lot about you know how to get more done in the day but as i was working and as i was writing it really came down to this whole like yes there are things you can do to to make a better to-do list or track how you're trying to do to handle all of these these factors in a more efficient way. That's all well and good, but it doesn't get to the heart of why people want these things. And it comes down to looking for reassurance that this thing that I'm trying to do, it's a good idea and it's definitely going to work the way that I want it to. And so in terms of of format when i when i finally settled on okay this this needs to be about uncertainty and risk and fear of the unknown uh it turns out when you start writing uh narrative research based nonfiction about uncertainty and fear it leads to a book that nobody wants to read because these aren't the types of topics i mean they're inherently unsettling to think about and so one of the things that i was playing around with um, just to see if it would work, is telling this as a story. And so How to Fight a Hydra in terms of how the text is presented, it's a short story about a person who decides to take on a big project. And that project is they're going to go out and they're going to fight this 
massive multi-headed monster called a hydra. And and you're quite serious about it. Like, oh, like yeah. Like, totally. like and it's so funny because well again, I don't want to spoil it because I want people to actually get it. So I, I won't it as I was listening to the audiobook in particular, and I'm sure this would happen in the in the written version as well. It did, I mean, given the different kinds of books you mentioned earlier, entertainment, how-to worldview, there was a sense of like, this is clearly a worldview book, but there was entertainment value in it. And there was a lot of very practical, like, well, if you're going to be a medieval knight trying to take down a hydra, this is what you do, that had this kind of trans- transferableness um, that shows up in, if I'm going to do a startup selling, you know, digital uh, media right now, like like right. or you know, it's it was striking to me the the parallels, and it sounds like you just you kind of fell into it because you were trying to tell an epic tale that had legs uh, in in the modern times. Is that fair? Yeah, yeah, and it's it's very much a it's a way of describing all of the things that all of us struggle with in a way that's both topic neutral. So it applies to to, to all of the different things that we're we're all variously trying to do, whether it's start a business or do an art project or or um, some other creative or speculative venture, uh, for lack of a better term. Being able to describe all of these things, which which some of it comes from philosophy, both ancient and modern. Uh, some of it comes from behavioral and cognitive psychology. Like, how do you talk yourself down when you're worried? Um, how do you keep going when things are really bad and you know things are really bad? All of the lessons in how to fight a hydra are are very much research based, but being able to illustrate it in the form of you get to to watch someone pursue something difficult and go through some genuinely difficult uh, circumstances and experiences, but you also get to watch them skillfully use these things to persist to the very end. Mm. And I think that's one of the the unique benefits. I mean, when, when I started this year, writing a, a fictional story was was not on my to-do list. I had no idea it would take the form that it ultimately took. But as it turned out, being able to show people how to do these things by illustrating a person going through something similar to what they're going through and showing how they're skillfully dealing with these these legitimately very difficult, very challenging circumstances ended up being a very, the best way that I could figure out to communicate this particular worldview or approach to dealing with these topics. You know what it reminded me of, and this is a serious compliment from my view, but did you ever read uh, Ready Player One? I have not. Is it good? Oh, it's phenomenal. It's phenomenal. Okay, much, it's on much, my list now. Much better than the than the film version. But um, but but you'll I can just describe very quickly uh, you know, you have this character who's going into a virtual world and he's, and it's like a video game, right? Like you're leveling up. And one of the things I was so struck by was your protagonist in the book, it wasn't just a, a single stage victory uh, or, or defeat. Uh, like it wasn't just taking on the Hydra. There was actually a lot before the Hydra even showed up and a lot mm-hmm. after the Hydra shows up. And I think that was the part that really struck me because the protagonists themselves became a different kind of person through the experiences, which required different kinds of skills. And it, it was this huge opening for me as I was thinking about my own experiences in, you know, in commerce and ventures that we've tried and, and some succeeded, some failed at. But it's, 
I've become a different kind of person. Like I'm a different person in business as a 48 year old than I was at a 38 year old than I was at a 28 right. year old, like by miles. But I, I didn't, I didn't have any context for that. I didn't see how that could ever be so when I was 28. And that's understandable, you know, until you get there, it's hard to have that perspective. But I, it felt like you opened up almost like a phased set of tiers for someone who's just beginning to set their expectations properly, that in this stage, you can anticipate this kind of work. And then when you get mm-hmm. to this stage, it's going to be an entirely different kind of work. And I, I'm wondering if you could just talk about that for um, the non-medieval knights of us in our world. If you're sitting down with with someone who's just getting started, do you talk about the stages that are coming or do you just get them to focus specifically on the one they're in in anticipation that when they get through that, they'll have a different conversation to have? Yeah, it's actually a mixture of both. And so, yeah, and I'm, I'm glad you brought it up because in, in the structure, so Hydra is not a long book. It's it's a 45-minute read if if you're reading it in ebook or, or print in about an hour and a half in, uh, with me reading it to you in, in audio. By the with, way, thanks with, for that. Thanks for the reading it to me. That's <laughs> absolutely. Nice touch. Nice touch. It was such a fun project. Um, uh, I, I actually, I ended up working with a guy who, uh, his name is Tim Rovin, and uh, his side gig is uh, developing audio to play in the background of Dungeons and Dragons games. Oh, fun. And he's just so good at what he does. So so Tim added a lot to the project. I'm, I was really happy uh, that he he agreed to help me. Um, so the Hydra is not a long book, but what it does give you is is an overview of the entire process. So the naive person starting out to, you know, at the end of the book, no spoilers, but a person who has a, a good amount of perspective yeah. about what's important and what's not. And so that that choice in in writing was was very deliberate trying to present the the arc or development of a person in dealing with these sorts of things versus versus a, a one-off battle i think um the most important thing for entrepreneurs or or the folks that i was uh advising or or working with at the the very early stage of the process um there's there's a point in the story and it's it's early on so no spoilers but um <laughs> the adventurer goes out and and is is looking for the hydra and can't find it, mm-hmm. and so a, a very literal lost in the wilderness sort of feeling. Like I I I know what I'm trying to do. Um, I have a vague idea of where I'm supposed to go, but man, I'm just wandering around in the woods and and nothing seems to be happening. No, happening. Nothing seems to be working. Like is this is this what it looks like? And um. That was very similar to conversations that I had with with early stage entrepreneurs. Like you are an explorer, you are an adventurer, and part of the job description is feeling lost, wandering in the wilderness for a while, and trying to find this thing, trying to figure out the best way to get this thing that you want. And I, I think it really helps, like that that mental shift of I'm an explorer, I'm an adventurer. This comes with the territory. It is to be expected. And it doesn't mean that there's something wrong with me or I'm not going to get what I want. It's just going to take a while. This is part of the process. Um, is is really helpful. Um, I don't know how many conversations I've I've had with early stage entre- entrepreneurs where, you know, the first couple times that they try to to make this thing they're trying to make or talk to customers, 
it just feels like they're getting nowhere. And part of the the process is going out, exploring what's possible, and then using that information to determine your direction for the next steps. It's It's a natural part of the thing. But so many people internalize that early lack of visible results as this either won't work or there's something wrong with me and I need to not do this anymore. You're reminding me of an experience I had years ago. I was a a beginner rock climber and I had this instructor and we had no ropes, no anything. It was just the the silly boots that you wear with the sticky shoes and that are too tight Uh for your feet. And it was, there was a little boulder in front of us and for about 45 minutes, we were working on this thing where he just, he was trying to teach me how to edge where you basically put your foot sideways on, on and you trust it and you step onto, you put your weight on it. And it's actually the weight that holds you in this little sliver of a slot. And then you, and then you step to the next edge and then you step up, but there's a hands-free move, two steps, bup, 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 and then you're on top of the rock. And 45 minutes in, I was in the exact same position that I started in, knees bloodied, yeah. hadn't moved. And I remember he turned to me in that moment, 45 minutes in, and he said, oh, you are making so much progress. And I, and I almost cussed at him. I was so mad because I was like, <laughs> I, I am, that is not true. Like I am in the exact same spot with just blood on my knees. And he goes, oh, no, no, you don't, you don't, you don't get it. You're, you're right on the cusp. You're right there. You, just can't, you don't have eyes to see it. And sure enough, like three minutes later, maybe, bup, 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 and I could do it now with my eyes closed. But right. but I at that moment I was so discouraged. So if you're at home listening and you're standing in the same spot with metaphorical bloody knees, you need how to fight a hydra. <laughs> this is going to serve <laughs> you, my friends. Uh, but not just those folks, because there's the other one comment I wanted you to make. And again, without any spoilers, but when people are up against extraordinary opportunities, that was a really poignant part of in, in the book where the decision may appear to be. Um, always go further up and further in, always mm-hmm. uh, aspire. And you offered a, a much more broad spectrum of available choices than the obvious ones of, I just want to get bigger and better. Is there anything there you want to comment on? Yeah, I, I think it goes back to what we were talking earlier about knowing what you want, why you want it, and and how you're going to go about getting it. Like being very clear on your values and how you prefer to pursue those values. So yeah, no no spoilers, but but there there's a point where the adventure faces a really difficult decision and and there are many positives to be said about both sides. And so um I, I think the the biggest thing is and it kind of goes back to what we were talking about in in terms of um people paying attention to the the flashy high status option and and automatically preferring that uh, versus other options. I think it's really important when you have an opportunity to weigh it against what you want and why you want it. Because all opportunities, even if they they look really great, they're not necessarily what is going to lead you to what you want most. And so just being able, you know, maybe you take the opportunity and maybe you don't, but but having the awareness and presence of mind to just notice the opportunity, take a step back and think about what you want first before you automatically go and do the thing that is flashy and exciting um, is is a really valuable and worthwhile practice to develop. Um, I think you'll you'll make better long-term decisions that you'll 
you'll find more rewarding and be happier with long term than just uh, chasing the the newest and the best all the time. Okay, last question before we're done. There was this one bit where you talk about, and you kind of referenced this a little bit earlier, but I want you to say a little bit more because uh, you had my number. Uh, I I love <laughs> I love getting things done. I like books about ritual. I love every mm-hmm. every uh, hack trick tip um, I can find, and I know I am not alone. Uh, there is a a world of overwhelmed people who are looking for shortcuts and. Um, I'm not a fan of shortcuts. I think the long cut is the shortcut. But y- you kind of nailed it when you talked a little bit about how those those genres of books are are useful in a certain kind of way, but not useful in another kind of way. And I'm wondering if you just, I don't know if you want to frame it that way or some other way, but just comment on on the, it feels like millions of different titles <laughs> that are out there right now that are in that genre and and why... Even if you like those genres or, or those books, why something like How to Fight a Hydra would be a helpful counterbalance? Sure. So if you think about going going back to the most books are are designed for entertainment, I don't think that's necessarily a problem. Like entertainment is great. So my my editor on on Personal MBA, uh, her name is Nikki, and and we were having lunch once and and talking about you know the the current state of publishing. And I, I mentioned, like, I, I wish more business books were about business instead of being, you know, a, a profile about a company or a CEO or, you know, something that's designed to be, like, interesting and entertaining, but, but not, doesn't teach you anything, right. doesn't tell you how to, to, how, to, how to think about this in, in a more useful, productive way. And, and I mentioned at the time uh, that if I'm going to read a book that's going to be entertaining it better have a dragon in it because my entertain <laughs> my entertainment options are pretty limited and and I'm going to choose something that that is like really optimized for entertainment. I think that it's important when you're reading or looking at and and this this applies to to reading online too. Are you improving your worldview? Are you learning a new approach to doing something that's important to you? Or are you reading something because it is interesting, because it is a diversion from the things that you have to do right now? Um, is is this a entertainment form of procrastination, in other words? And you know, this is this is something that that I struggle with all the time. I'm by no means perfect in this regard. It, it sometimes feels like uh, my my brain has a hidden ambition to inhale the entire internet through my eyeballs. Like I just need to take a step back and think about, okay, why am I reading this? What is the purpose? So um, a, a person who is doing a lot of, of very fine thinking and research uh, in this regard is, is Cal Newport, uh, both with his, uh, his book, Deep Work, and then his new book, um, Digital Minimalism. Being very, very focused and intentional. And I, I think I would extend Cal's argument in, in a couple of ways. One is extend that same approach to all of the information that you are are taking in, you know, whether or not it's online. So the books, the courses, the magazines, the news, the all of the things that you are putting in your brain, are those things actively improving your worldview and your capability to do work that is important and that matters and that gets you what you want to achieve? If so, great. And then one of the easiest ways to free up time and capacity, both for your work and for those things that can improve your worldview is to 
get rid of all of the stuff that is primarily optimized for either entertainment or distraction. Certainly keep some of it um, because entertainment is important. But when you look at the balance of the time you spend looking at things in this area, really take a hard look. Is, is, is this improving my worldview or is this primarily a, a diversion? And you can free up a lot of time and capacity for, for things that will. I think How to Fight a Hydra introduces a really important conversation or an idea that every single one of us has to grapple with no matter who we are or, or what we do. You know, we all have things we want to accomplish. We're all scared about what that process looks like. We're all uncertain about whether or not we're going to be able to do it. Um, we all have quite a bit of growth and improvement um, that will be required in order for us to get the things that we're after. And so the more you can look the monster square in the eye and see it for what it is and know it's there and know the things that you have to do in order to fight it. I mean, those are some very powerful tools that will help you regardless of, of what you're working on right now or regardless of what you're working on for the rest of your life. You know, this, this is a feature of reality. It's, it's not going to go away and it's not going to solve itself. And so the more that you can get your head on straight in terms of these difficulties exist, they are important. And there are things that I can do to make it more likely that I will be able to succeed. Given these barriers, any effort put toward getting your mind straight in terms of how you're going to deal with these issues is time very well spent. This was episode five, season five of the Business of Creativity podcast. Converge is made possible thanks to the Habit Course from TellMeYourDreams.com. TMYD provides world-class coaching designed specifically for remote teams. Find out why Forbes magazine called TMYD's Habit Course the online course to master working from home. Sign up today at TellMeYourDreams.com. <laughs>